ये इंटरनेशनल गेम है सुनील दिमाग से खेला जाता है गुस्से से नहीं हेलो एवरीबॉडी एंड वेलकम टू एपिसोड 103 ऑफ हुप दर्शन हुप दर्शन Episode number 103, Karan. Um, I, I say this at the start of every episode, but I can't believe we're in three digits right now. Um, 103 means we're going to talk about the championship of 2003. Uh, yes. What's your What's your memories from that? Uh, that was the Spurs sweeping the Nets, right? 4-0 right. in the final. That's right. So, yep. so my only memory is yet another <laughs> a, a sweep of the Nets. But but I would say the the 2003 title I think it was the second one for Tim Duncan, mm-hmm. so I I feel it was the most one of the most underrated sort of heroic playoff performances just because it's Tim Duncan I don't think it's talked about enough, but this Spurs team beyond him was actually really not that good. Uh, David Robinson was on his last legs, uh, Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili were on their first legs, you know, and it was just a mishmash team that didn't really have. too much talent uh it was mostly carried by duncan alone and yeah. he just had this monster season i think he was mvp and finals mvp so uh, th- this was around peak tim duncan era so um, yeah. yeah shout out yeah, shout out exactly. to td yeah my uh, my very petty um, kobe versus duncan arguments are all about the fact that like i don't i, I don't think like all five titles belong to tim duncan the way they take credit away from kobe's but This one is 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 very definitely Tim Duncan's title and probably the most Tim Duncan title out of all five that that he's had. Um, and I think like the fact that it it was a four nil sweep of of the Nets and the fact that it was such a dominant performance is probably why like and and the fact that I guess the Spurs of that time were probably like the most boring version of the Spurs, right? That that's that i think in my view why uh, we don't really like rate this title as much as the others but you're right it was total domination um i yeah. hated that team i, I honestly I, i grew 10 years later i grew to really adore the old spurs but yeah. this these early 2000 spurs 2002 till 6 2002 till 7 well, yeah. i just had uh, a, a lot of hit because you know bruce bowen's injuring everybody um popovich is doing the hacker shacks and everything else is boring as hell like their their super duper star is just like the most boring superstar ever of all time so um i hated that team but i can't help but respect them they 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 kick butt that's that's a really good way of putting it cool um obviously moving moving on from that they, we've got a few indian basketball events to talk about before we get to a uh, special guest section karan yes. um the next next round of the fiba asia qualifiers have been announced we had we had vishesh on in the previous episode and he told us about yeah. um about the upcoming qualifiers that they are preparing for uh, yeah. what can you tell our listeners about updates from this yeah so like the next uh uh vishesh talked about this the, the, the next india's last round of fiba asia qualifier game because we made it past the you know the the group stage but we didn't make it through we made it to like sort of a couple of playoff games that we have to win now but as vishesh had met, was mentioning in the previous episode because of covid a lot of stuff has been delayed and now these last playoff games or so or whatever we want to call them won't be held until um 
basically until days before the actual FIBA Asia Cup begins. The actual FIBA Asia Cup is going to be mid-August in Indonesia. And these games will just be two or three days before. So the Indian team will, will fly to Indonesia, play these games there, and then it'll determine whether we actually stay there for the next 10 days or so of the FIBA Asia Cup, or we're going to lose these games and come back. So um, it's it's going to be a bit of a close call. I, I, I You know, there's time for us to practice now to get better. But now with like the second wave raging in India, who even knows what the practice situation is going to be like. I just hope that the team just remains fit enough and um, and be able to, to win these games. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's no point even talking about those those games this early because so many things could change. But on, on more exciting news, the, the unofficial capital of BFI and possibly the unofficial capital of Asian basketball's women's arm, um, yes. my home city of, of Bengaluru is going to be hosting the FIBA Asia Cup again, the women's FIBA Asia Cup. It, it, so, you know what's funny? that uh, I couldn't actually find confirmation that it's in Bengaluru. I know that it's in India from September 26th mm-hmm. to October 3rd, this year's FIBA Asia Women's Cup. But I'm assuming it's Bengaluru because where else would it be? I think it. I think that is the answer. There's no need for us to like have any doubts about it. Uh, your city has really become the the headquarters of a lot of FIBA Asia women's events of all ages, right? And India has been yeah. has been killing it. We have done really well in a lot of stages. It's our time now to sort of take the next jump, you know, uh, not just sort of be in the middling zone between level one and level two. We have home court advantage again, and we have to make the most of it. Absolutely. Uh, and finally, uh, the FIBA Under-16 Women's and Men's Championship for 2021 the hosts for that have also been uh, confirmed as Lebanon and Iraq. This yeah. is obviously Lebanon and Iran. something that Iran. That's right. Sorry. Yes. Um, yeah, and this is obviously like the first real tournament that our, our national teams or, or the age group national teams really go on to take part in. So we, we always keep a keep a sort of a, a, a glance at this um, yeah. to to think about who the upcoming stars are, what kind of names should we be following in the next few years and stuff like that. So that's that's coming up as well, right? Yeah, for sure. No, I'll be excited about that. Those tournaments too. They're always, it's for me. You know, I, I don't follow the grassroots as closely as I used to when I was working with the BFI and was actually like traveling more for these events. But you're right. Like events like these, this is when the big breakthrough names come out, and you're like, okay, this guy's gonna be the big deal in the future, or she's gonna be, you know, the game changer. You'll see a lot. A lot of the players who who play well here will either be recruited for the NBA India Academy or would have completed a year at the NBA India Academy. And similarly, the, the women's players will be invited for whenever they do the women's program again. Of course, all of this I'm talking with, uh, like, who knows what's going to happen with the pandemic. So it's all, it, everything is is in the air right now. But if all goes well, I think that's how that's how these things will move forward. Everything is in the air. Did you, did you think about <laughs> that? <laughs> so, Kaushik, I, w- I want to move on to our uh, special guest for this for this episode yes yes um now almost a month ago maybe it was three weeks ago or something i saw a story about principal singh you know um he is the indian basketball prospect who's right now in the g league playing for the g league's ignite um and I, and it, it it was an article on a u.s based website this is not uncommon you know i follow indian basketball news pretty closely and principal has been making the rounds you know uh i think washington posted a story on him a few other uh, big places that stories on him right but 
what was really cool to see was that this story was on the Ringer, which is you know one of the great websites for basketball and pop culture, a website I follow very closely. I was super excited. It was a wonderful article, and it was through this story that I discovered Mirren Fader. She's the journalist who uh, who has also authored an amazing biography of Yanis Antetokounmpo, which is set to be released later this year. So she wrote the story on Principal, and in the story, Mirren she really provided a lot of detail about. Prince Pal's background in Punjab, how he's settling now in the states, you know, his G League experiences, his strengths, and so much more, right? So I decided to like reach out to her, you know, because I felt like there was so much more that we could talk about uh, related to the story of of Prince Pal. Um, you know, I want to talk to her about the challenges and the fun parts of working on the story, and we disc we obviously discussed a lot of like typical Punjabi stuff. We discussed uh pinni we discussed basketball in dudhiana and you know we discussed butter chicken like that had to be part of part of like our you know just her introduction to this world of punjabi basketball right so please listen to this conversation and please stick around for the end where she speaks a lot about in great detail about her book on yanis it sounds incredible it's a book where she really charts yanis's origin story in a way from greece to how he became this unlikely super duper star and just like it's a really close portrayal of one of the biggest one of the biggest and most unlikely you know superstars in the league right um so yeah and uh, uh, stick around for this interview it was me and mirin uh, we spoke about a week ago so um, here she is so i'd like to welcome mirin fader to hoop darshan mirin how are you doing hi i'm good thank you so much for having me uh we're glad to have you on uh just to introduce you guys mirin is a staff writer at the ringer um you know so many of your stories and on the ringer and the other websites they're just these beautiful long form profiles you know you know athletes basketball players in particular but so many other athletes uh which including lamelo ball devante adams gg bryant rip that was really a heartbreaking story uh brandon ingram and you have a book out later this year which we'll talk about later in in the future on you know on the one and only yanis antetokounmpo so before we talk about that um we have a very our own special subject to discuss you know something closer to the indian audience uh, our own version of sort of the yanis story in a way i would say uh, <laughs> you published a piece on the ringer just i would say 3 weeks ago 2 3 weeks ago uh, on on prince pal singh tight titled india's newest nba hopeful is a window into the country's basketball future um i was so excited to see that i, I mean i follow the ringer pretty closely i think a lot of people in india do but to see a whole story about an indian basketball player was wild to me so uh, probably the first time it's ever done in detail in that way so straight up i want to ask you what landed that story in your lap you know were you covering indian prospects uh, were you covering the ignite the g league ignite team how did you come across principal's story well you mentioned the yanis book and i think ever since then just learning about his draft process and how it was so improbable i was kind of always on the look for international prospects and spending time in australia last year with the lamello ball story just gave me such a global awareness and i remember there was this really fantastic article in the new york times magazine by reed forgave about um basketball in india and it just kind of had the wheels turning like I wonder who it's going to be, you know, who is going to be that player from India. And then I saw Prince Paul's name on the G League roster and um I was like, oh, I need to profile him, you know, because it's it's not just about him, it's everything that he represents. Um and I knew everyone was going to rush to profile Jalen Green, but I just felt like Prince Paul's story was so much more interesting. Mhm. And you know, you you start the story with this very vivid gathering 
at his village uh dera baba nanak where his close family and friends are there and they they celebrate him making the g league did you actually travel to his village to do this because it seemed like you were right there like you were a fly on the wall at this event well that is so lovely for you to say and that just made my whole month possibly year because uh no i have not left my apartment in a year um normally i would get to travel but you know this time that's why it was really hard in the pandemic like how can you recreate a scene that you weren't there mm-hmm. um but just hearing how happy his father was and what a joy it was to have the whole village there i just i had to start the story with that because their their family story and the joy that him playing basketball has brought to this area was so important for me to center hmm. well so yeah so there were two particular locations i i myself have not had a chance to visit his village but the 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 in ludhiana the guru nanak uh, basketball court where you talk about where the uh, the principal went and like made his game better that's a place that a lot of us are familiar with because it's it, it that code is like a right a right of passage for every great punjabi player mm-hmm. um and and again like you were able to sort of like really build that scene so vividly from on the basketball court and, you know uh, how the amenities are kind of messed up but the players love it it's um that was it was wonderful to read that I mean that means a lot for me to hear you say that because I think like I don't know I read a lot when I was doing my research I was trying to research everything I could about the area and I feel like a lot of the stories are written with this tone of like judgment or just very like ethnocentric like western eyes coming onto this and mm-hmm. almost like mocking it versus like you know to these kids this court meant the world and they absolutely loved being there every second the only thing they needed was a ball and a hoop so i was just trying to ask so many questions to describe the place in all of its glory just cuz i know how much it meant to those kids well and the pinny now <laughs> the, 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 yeah. the pinny sort of played like a, a real like you know uh, main casting role in the story that yes Have you have you had it have you had any punjabi food at all or I've ne- I've never had it but I asked so many questions about it and I heard like the whole back story and how like significant it was mm. and that's that's when I knew like when when the mom um when his mom packed him some to go I just thought that that was my favorite detail because it was such a gesture of love mm-hmm. you know and it made him feel so loved and at home and um Yeah, I really wanted to center that and it it was cool to see people say I never thought I'd see that in a ringer article, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, I I could relate almost too much to that because, you know, uh, my mom would pack me these like besan wala laddus, you know, not the same but in the same family I guess of sweets. Um and 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 send me off to boarding school with this big box of laddus and I was just like this is It, for a while it was sweet but then it just became this added thing that like I've, I've got my mom's laddus here everybody <laughs> just like right. so yeah I, i can't imagine what he what him taking the pinny to florida that must have been an event i know and one of my friends told me that it's actually like very satisfying you cannot eat like a bunch of them at one time so he yeah. probably had it for quite some time to like keep him yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they keep well that's the other thing you can you know they don't go bad that soon so Amazing. <laughs> I love uh, it. <laughs> did you have any issue with the translators like whether it's speaking to principal himself principal's English isn't that strong 
uh, or any of the other translators who were helping you with the story? How, how did you get that across? Did you have translators in India? Did you have translators here in the States? Yeah, the translator, I believe, is based in India. He works for NBA India. Um, okay. He was, yeah, he was fantastic. I think the only issue was the Zoom. Like, you know, as a reporter yourself, it's hard to interview people over Zoom just in general. But when you add the added layer of, um, you know, working with a translator digitally, it's just hard. Even though he was amazing, it's just like, you know, there's there's a lack of intimacy overall just because of the digital space in the pandemic. But I think it added a little bit of separation. So that was hard because yeah. like, I wish that I could have gone to India, you know, like I wish I could have stepped on the court and felt it myself. And um, I know from the Giannis book, working with Greek translators, you know, it's so important to be there with the person. You want to look them in the eye. You want to mm. be next to them. And I, I felt sad that, you know, I didn't have that with this story. With, did you get to watch Prince Paul, like, at all? Have you seen him in the G League? I, have, I haven't seen him play in the in the G League at all. Yeah I've, yeah. yeah, I've seen bits. Mm-hmm. I think there's not a lot, you know, he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time, but I've seen a lot of, like, highlights. But th- I think that's an, an issue for sure, is that I wasn't sure how good he was, right? Like, is he is he legit? Is he, you know, because you, you see these clips, he, he looks very fluid. He has mm-hmm. really nice fundamentals, but you have to see him in action against other people that are his size or bigger. And so I think that that was a challenge for me is just having a lack of footage to go off of. So just purely on, you know, your sort of, cause, cause I've, I've found that, you know, you play ball a lot too. And I'm sure you have like a very like keen eye and finding out who's, you know, what's what in that sense. Um, I haven't had a chance to see his growth that much from post the NBA Academy years, you know, before Australia and all that. So I'll be curious to know, uh, did you, did you see and like, what would you say his strengths are? What do you say his weaknesses are at this point? If you just had to sort of offer, you know, like a rough scouting report on his game. Yeah. Well, I think number one is he's very quick to pick up things. So, you know, obviously with the NBA learning so many different systems, so much information, like he's cerebral, he gets it. He's able to consume an incredible volume of information really quickly. So that's a key strength, you know, you throw him into any system, he's going to figure it out. Um, I think another strength that he has is like, he's fluid. Like there's nothing herky. I don't know what the word is. Herky jerky. It's such a weird thing when you say it out loud. You know, I read it all the time, but when you say it, it's weird. But yeah. anyways, his form, it's there's nothing weird about it. It's not mm. awkward. He's fluid. So I think like fun, he's fundamentally sound. Mm. Um, he has good ball handling skills. Um, I think one issue is his range. Um, because of his size, he's gonna have to like really you know stretch the floor. Mm. And even though he has a nice touch and he has quite a bit of a step back jumper, he has to like get that three point, you know, catch and shoot or pull up, um, a little bit more advanced, I think, Mm -hmm. um, defensively, I think when he got there, he was a bit out of shape because he didn't have access to gyms or anything during lockdown because, you know, everyone was separate and obviously there's no, there's no basketball court in his village. So I think defensively, he was a, a half step behind because, he just wasn't in shape to, you know, put your, put your palm out and be in the passing lanes. He just, he just wasn't doing that at first, Mm -hmm. but then Brian Shaw told me that like, he really picked up the most out of anyone on the team. He is by far the most improved player on the whole Ignite team from where he started to now, he's just gotten so much better, but I do think defense is an area 
um, he can grow in. And I think just getting stronger finally, you know, every prospect, remember Giannis, he was this yeah. scrawny little skinny guy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, principal has room to grow and get stronger, but he needs a team to take a chance on him. He needs one of those teams that are really good um, and actually have people that are like skilled in development. I mean, any team is going to expect you to contribute right away, but I do think he needs some time and development. The, 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 the conditioning, the strength and conditioning issue is, is a big issue with a lot of Indian players, no matter where in India they're from. Um, and it's, it's funny. So a lot of players do, and one of the big reasons players end up being from his region or, or not, I mean, that state in Punjab, whether it's Satnam, Amjot, like all, every GD player we've had is from that one particular state in India. Uh, and I think that they, they, a lot of them come from like these backgrounds of farmer families or working outdoors. They, they are like generally bigger and taller than Indians from the rest of the country, but their diet isn't exactly focused on thinking like, Oh, I want to build my body a certain way. It's just that it, it's a healthy diet or, 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 I'm, or I would say healthy in like a sense of like, it's rich on just like everything, you know, but uh, the, the, it makes them big and strong, but it doesn't necessarily make them focused on a certain athletic sort of mm-hmm. idea in that sense. Interesting. Um, so I think, uh, and I would, I would add like players like him, they always start so late compared to the rest, mm-hmm. of, the rest of the world. And I'm sure right. this is something that was with Giannis too. Now he's right. a super freak of world nature, like <laughs> like the, the kind of athlete that's never existed, I would say. But um, right. a lot of these Indian players, uh, I, I think Principal only started playing basketball in his like late mid-teens or something. You know, um, exactly. Th- there's a guy called Amrit Pal Singh. I don't know if he came across in your research at all. Who who was who started playing ball at 18 and he was the captain of the national team by 22. And it's just, it, it's um, wild to me because it's, it's, it's both amazing, but it's also like a wasted opportunity that these guys could yeah. have adapted so much longer ago. Right. Um, it's, it sucks because it's like, imagine, well, I guess this next generation will be different, right? The kids now so, that yeah. are aware of it, that's the hope, right? Yeah. But it's like, wow, imagine what all these other people could have done. I mean, yeah. how good could Principal be if he started five years earlier? We just will never know. But that's a great point. So, so you mentioned like, you know, uh, we hope that a team will take a chance on him. Do you feel that, I mean, and, and this is an issue with a lot of like Indian basketball sort of people who are in the media or who are sort of supporting Indian basketball in other ways, th- they found this to be an issue that the Ignite itself is not a very good fit for him. Now, not mm-hmm. in terms of the, the experience and, and training it gets him because he has incredible coaches, he has incredible teammates, but just in terms of like him getting to play. Because it's so overloaded with star power, he was always going to be fighting for minutes. Um, and that's the pro and con, right? Like, it's like if an NBA rookie gets picked in a really good team, he's not going to get to play much, but he'll get to play with winning players. Or right. he, if, he, if he goes to a trash team, and then he might get, get to put his numbers up. So, uh, from your opinion, did, did you feel that he was, it, it, the team is a good fit for him, for Prince Paul? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I didn't think it was a good fit for him. Um, I I think at the end of the day, it's like, it is really awesome to get development from somebody like Brian Shaw or, you know, these other teammates. But at the end of the day, this is life or death in terms of like showing, improving and making your career. And whether you get development or not, at the end of the day, he's not playing and people can't see him and that affects him. Um, 
So I don't know. I feel kind of bad for him in that sense. Um, I don't feel like he got the best shake um, as far as like being in the right situation. I always say like to make an NBA team, to make the NBA, a million factors have to go right. And one of them is luck. And one of them is being with the right system, with the right coach who actually likes you and believes in you. And there's not politics and you don't have a, a guy chucking 18 shots again. You know, there's like so many yeah. factors. And I just think that this probably was not the best fit for him. Yeah. But we talked about the lack of game footage. Like I think overseas people like they they've seen him, they've seen him in Australia, but like this was his chance to. Yeah. Oh, the American audience, because I think people know his name, but that's it. They don't really know anything beyond that. They're like, wow, he's so tall. Wow. He's from India. And the yeah. narrative stops there, yeah. but there's so much more to his story. It's, it's all those things you mentioned, you know, in terms of finding the perfect team. And in the case of guys like Prince Paul, and um, I, I think you mentioned this a little bit in your story too, there's that other layer of, being in this strange world, you know, like guys like him and even Satnam, uh, who was, you know, the first, they, to them, even coming to a big Indian city is an alien experience from, from mm-hmm. their village to coming to like Delhi, where I am currently, it's, it, it's a big deal. They feel like they're in an alien world. And I can't really, I can't even imagine what it must be like for them to, to then go off to the States. And it, it literally must be that, uh, you know, an alien world. It totally. And that was one of the things actually that I was most impressed about with my interview with Prince Paul is that he's so chill to the point of like, I wonder if anything phases him, you know, because I was like, I was like, so you've been to China, you've been to Thailand, you've been to Las Vegas, you've been to LA, you've been to Florida, you've been to San Francisco. And he's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, if that was me, I would be like freaking out. I don't know anybody, but like, I just think he's been poised from such a young age to like travel and leave. And, you know, I asked him if he felt homesick. He was like, nope. (laughs) He was just like, I was ready to leave and I wanted to go to Australia. So for him, America was just kind of like, he wasn't overly like, wow. It was just more just like, okay, here's my next stop. I mean, he's he's the most, he's one of the most adaptable athletes I think I've ever talked to. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. And it's not easy. There's a lot of college kids right now in America. You ask them to go to even something like, say you grew up in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and you ask them to go to Ohio, that would be hard for them versus this guy, just wherever there's a basketball, I will go. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. I I mean, it's, he does internalize a lot of stress, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I don't know him personally, but I'm just guessing by um, by the interviews and all. But it, it is as wild just to be able to adapt in that way, you know, and then to come back in India. There, there's a lot of expectation to come back to India and play for his state team, you know, and, and all of that. So just to keep that balance is it's pretty crazy to me. Um, I also want to say I'm very glad he spoke to Troy Justice for this. Mm. Troy is sort of the favorite American of everyone in Indian basketball. He's he's nice. like a legend over here. Yeah. So, wow. so I was so glad I was so glad to see his name. Like he, as you said, he was here first. He was here like ten or eleven years ago. Um, yeah. And we traveled a lot actually. We traveled, including um, to Ludhiana to that court. So it was just it brought back a lot of memories of that particular time because he was the right person to for you to hit up, especially from from the early days. Well, I. 
that I'm glad you said that because I think like for me, what I really wanted to do was show that this story is beyond principle. This is like, there's so many people that have devoted so many years to this, packed up their lives because they actually really do want to bring basketball to India. Yeah. And I just think it's cool that there's so many, like you would never know Justice's name. You would never, I mean, unless you're in India, but you would never know all these people behind the scenes that just kind of work tire tirelessly to just bring opportunity. Um, and you can tell the genuine passion that he has. Like he got so excited yeah. when he was telling me about the train ride or, you know, riding around in these carts. Um, I don't know. He just, the way he described India, it was, it was so beautiful to me. He was just yeah. like, it changed my life, like going there, living there. Um, like it sounded amazing. He, um, he especially spent a lot of time in Ludhiana and because he knew early on, like, this is the, this, this is the centerpiece. This is where everyone's coming through that city. If you ever get a chance to visit, it's, it's the capital of two things. And I would say in India and then secondary, the world really it's the capital of Indian basketball. And it's mm -hmm. also the capital of butter chicken, which is basically my favorite food. And, and, and Ludhiana has the absolute best butter chicken place on earth. So, which is why a lot of these players, like I, I always have this running joke, you know, when I, like when Amjot came back from the States, I'm like, you better not eat too much butter chicken while you're back home. Like, you need to keep that balance right. <laughs> when, when I come to India, you have to take me to the best place. It's the spot, hopefully post-pandemic. <laughs> I mean, they're doing okay virtually. I follow them, but hopefully post-pandemic, we can actually go and visit and, you know, yeah. Um, I've got my fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so my last few questions about the principal thing, you know, what would you say are the most interesting sort of tidbits you picked up researching the story that were just like yeah to you personally they, they just seem very like something you had never come across before researching a basketball story well I loved researching the birds I loved hearing about the birds that would come into the gym and, oh, yeah. um, because as we talked about like this court is described as this like dirty gross place but it is actually quite beautiful and yeah. I, I really loved learning about that I think my favorite part was actually talking to his father um, mm. because, you know, I think um, I get, I'm not going to stereotype, but I think that there is a tendency for Western writers to put this narrative on, Ind you know, Indian families and say, well, they won't let their kids play sports and they won't do this and they're not allowed to enjoy it. And um, if you heard the pride in his dad's voice for his son, and how supportive he is and how excited he is and how involved he is and how like his son gets to dream dreams that he himself just didn't growing up. Mm -hmm. I, I just really loved that because, um, you know, you want to, you want to show this family as they are, you know, not some narrative that other people have a conception of what India is, you know, yeah, yeah. The, dad, the dad was like so supportive and, um, that was just really cool to me, you know, because whether or not Principal makes it, like his family's proud of him. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, like that matters more than anything. It's yeah. like, are your parents proud of you? Do they think you're doing a good job in life? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so I love, I loved, I just loved that. He's fortunate because I would say the narrative is true for a lot of other Indian parents, <laughs> including <laughs> mine. It's just, it's, it's, it's part of, uh, it, it's always a rebellion to do anything that's out, out of the norm. But then in players like, in the case of players like him, they come from such tough means, or, or, or I would say they're so disenfranchised from uh, the, the normal route of, you know, 
education and and occupation in india that that basketball really is then a, a wonderful way out so in that sense yeah. I'm, i'm really glad that you know his father is is supportive of him right um, what would you say is the best story that didn't make your peace oh the best story that didn't make the peace um that's a good question um thinking um I think I don't know if it's the best story because I think it can be misconstrued but you know I said like Prisbell is just very chill mm-hmm. um like chill to the point of you wonder if any if you know is he just playing it cool or is he just like very confident mm-hmm. um laid back he lands in San Francisco and the guy driving him is like that's where the warriors play and he's yeah. just like okay and then they're like <laughs> and he's like that's where it is and he's like pointing out all these major yeah. sports things and and Prisbell's in the back seat like okay <laughs> and, and I think like <laughs> I didn't put it in there because I thought it could be mis- misconstrued yeah. for disinterest yeah. it's not it's not disinterest what it is is that he I don't know he's so mature and he's so focused and so confident in himself that he is not uh, a little boy wandering around with wide eyes he is ready for the moment he is not awed by america he is thankful for opportunity but is not over the top with yeah. it so I, i really like that about him that's that's really awesome to her um so before I let you go on a shift gears just a little bit speaking of one of the guy that sort of came into america was you know in the bright lights and then somehow became mvp it's the one of the wildest stories ever ever wow. um <laughs> so so mirin your first book yanis the improbable the Im- improbable rise of an nba mvp uh which will be released on by hatchet books on august this year so uh congrats first of all that's really cool Thank i'm you. so hyped I, i i i it was very funny like i think most people knew you through that side like the fact that this yana's book is coming out and then discovered the prince i was the other way around i i, I saw this principal story and then um, i i was like okay you're writing a book about yana's and then i heard you on um, the bill simmons podcast talking about the yana's story in detail so it's I, i'm super excited for this book and uh, and i'm guessing with you the trend seems to be you, you like focusing on players with these unlikely stories you know like while whether it's lamello going through australia principal yanis like is 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 that like on purpose the, the how you choosing your subjects yeah well thank you so much for the kind words i think it's becoming a pattern right mm-hmm. i didn't set out to do this but i just kind of i find it really interesting i think it's boring when everything goes right in a person's life and they're just destined for superstardom like mm-hmm. sometimes when somebody's great at a sport i'm almost like do i even want to profile them because yeah. it's like okay you were great and then you became greater and now you're the greatest <laughs> <laughs> but how am i going to get 300 pages out of that you know yeah, yeah. um so you know in a, earlier in our conversation you know you made the great point about like starting late at basketball mm-hmm. and i'm like so fascinated by that because principal started late and also yanis started late and so you know what it tells me is that like our markers for success are not definite you know you can be different and i think you're always going to find a super rich story in writing about people that are different yeah. people whose journeys diverge that's i think like we want to see ourselves in stories you know we want to um that's why we watch movies that's why we read books and like 
even though my background is different than Giannis's, there's something about um, work ethic and resilience and hardship and disappointment that even, you know, I relate to, um, and I've never been to Greece. So I, I just think like, I am really drawn to these stories because I think that there are very human parallels to people that grow up in different cultures. I was going to ask you, like, uh, you mentioned you haven't been to Greece, but you did speak to like hundreds of people for this book, right? Um, yeah. Did uh, Did you speak to a lot of his family members as well? Who were, uh, back yeah. In Greece? Okay. Yeah. Thank God for WhatsApp. Um, yeah. WhatsApp was like my pandemic lifesaver. All the Greeks, all the Greeks are on WhatsApp, and yeah, yeah. all the Indians too. <laughs> yeah, and like Australia, they love WhatsApp in Australia, so I already had it. So um, yeah, I ended up. It's funny because I got the book deal right before the pandemic, and I flew to Milwaukee literally right before, like I would say, like five days before the world shut down. Oh, and I interviewed his brothers again. And so had I not made that trip right before the pandemic, I would have been like completely screwed. Um, so, but I, I think as far as, you know, talking to other people from like back in Greece, that was one of my favorite parts of reporting because I yeah. think with, with Giannis, it's like, I think people are aware of like the general theme of the backstory. Like we, what do we know about Giannis? We know that he grew up in a really difficult situation they had to sell items on the street. It was really tough. And he miraculously becomes MVP. But I don't think we know anything else. Yeah. And I think it was my job to like, almost it was like a coloring book. And it was a stencil of his life. And my job was to fill in all the color. And so I just really enjoyed talking to as many people as I could who knew him played with him you know, was friends with him outside of basketball? Where did he like to hang out? Uh, what did he like to do? You know, it's just, it, it was so cool. And, you know, much like not being able to go to India, not being able to go to Greece was such a bummer too, because the mm. pandemic, I had to cancel my trip, but almost like recreating a country through conversation and maps. It, mm. I mean, it, it taught me a lot. It really yeah. did. The, the amount of research must have been I mean, both fun and daunting, I'm sure. Um, you, you mentioned on, um, I mean, this, you mentioned detail in the, in, in the Simmons podcast about how, you know, often his family were evicted. They almost, they often had to hit the streets and just like his own food insecurities growing up, which was just like these, I'm sure there's a lot more in the book. Um, and, but these are like some details that really like drew me in. Um, what would you say is, I mean, from your opinion or from your research, what would you say was the moment in his life where he, you felt he actually felt like quote unquote secure? Because I think, you know, was it, was it the first time he was discovered balling well in Greece or was it not until he got his first NBA contract? Like at what point did he feel that security in his life? I mean, I'm really glad you asked this because I think one of the central tensions in the book is ascending to the highest ranks in terms of, um, athleticism and money and yet still not feeling secure. And I think that's a tension that people don't realize. They think you make money, your family's okay, you get your visas in, in check and everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's like, it's not fine. You yeah. don't feel yeah. secure. It took him a really, really, really long time to like know you're secure. And, and he still doesn't really spend money, you know, I mean, he, it took him, he didn't fly first class until after his fourth year in the league. 
Um, and he wouldn't pay for the extra seat for the exit row because he's so tall just because like he didn't want to pay. <laughs> it's just like, un- it's like unheard of, right? And so, so it's like, even though now he, he is secure and he, and he knows that, right? He knows he has generational wealth, not just for this generation, but his son and all that. But it's like, I think it took a really, really long time to embrace that. There's a line in the book um, that I hope will resonate with people is him and his brothers used to have a joke between them that said, um, and they would repeat this joke often. They would say like, what if we went to sleep and we woke up and we were exactly where we started? Mm. And to me, that's like such an example of this feeling of insecurity and lack of feeling secure because they continue to say that to each other well into their time in America. So I think like feeling secure and all of that is such an ongoing theme. Yeah, no, that really touched me, that line. Uh, and, and I feel uh, having the, the background he's had with these sort of uh, insecurity in his youth, you know, in terms of like these evictions, these... The, the fact that you you're not really sure where the next meal will always come from it it it, it is the kind of like trauma that would you know normally pe- have people rushing to to psychologists psychiatrists right whereas with athletes you just expect them to like oh well you're rich now get over it you know and it's um yeah. it stays with you your whole life yeah. and the interesting thing is when he was growing up um mental health was not a buzzword so it's it's you know, like now we have this language and trauma and flashbacks and, you know, uh, it just didn't, it just wasn't in the conversation, even when he was a rookie in 2013 to 14, when, you know, he was still really like thinking about Greece and all of those things that he went through. It's like, there wasn't that language, you know, the NBA wasn't promoting mental health. I mean, it's just a totally different conversation now. And, and I, I mean, also, he, he, he has, and you mentioned this briefly, I've read this in other profiles, he, he does have a contentious relationship with Greece itself, right? Like, the, he's, yeah. he's celebrated, and but also, like, there's, there's the, I'm sure he worries about his family and friends there, because there's people who really dislike him. Yeah, it's, um, it's a push and a pull. It's like, he's both idolized, but also, um, they're are many racist people in Greece and they just see him as a black person. Um, And so that's a big part of the book too. I actually chart the journeys of some black Greek friends that were not able to ascend the way that Giannis was in order Mm -hmm. to like understand the context of like where he comes from and just the complicated nature of it. But, you know, at the same time, he loves Greece and Mm -hmm. he's proud um, and he's proud of all parts of his identity. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely, um, I guess I hope people take away from the book is that it's like multiple stories in one. You have yeah. the story, the stuff you just mentioned, um, and then a straight up biography. And then it's a history of the books for like basketball mm. nerds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he like saved the entire franchise. They stayed there because of him, basically. Right. Yeah. Literally. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, okay. On to slightly happier things. Like, yes, the history of the books. He... Do you have an MVP vote? Say that one more time. Do, do you have an MVP vote? Do you get do you uh, no. Okay. no, because I because I cover other sports, but okay. I think he's playing better than ever. I was gonna ask because there's this whole narrative that there's no chance. Now I haven't quite decided because there's still enough of the season left. It's such a weird like season with everyone hurt. But there's this whole narrative that he's just out of it just because of the fact that he's won it twice and didn't, didn't do it in the playoffs, right? Um, 
would he be your MVP of the season ended today? If, if you were a non-biased voter. <laughs> if I was non-biased, yes. I, okay. I've never seen him play this way. Okay. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. I think we're just like, we're hating for no reason right now. It's and, unbelievable. And people have to be reminded it's a regular season award, like over and right. over again. Yeah. I know. And I feel, um, I, I guess I shouldn't say I feel bad for him, but yeah, like I think there is Giannis fatigue in mm. a way. Yeah. Uh, that I just find fascinating and weird. <laughs> he, he's been, I would say, I mean, I, I'd probably put a couple guys ahead of him, but he's been the healthiest one of, of the options. So right. um, we'll see. I, I find it unlikely that he'll win, but it's it, it's not because of like his own talent. It's because of like the narrative, really. Right. Um, At least people realize that now. Yeah, agreed. Um, my last question is, so your book, you said, is coming out in August. Yes. Uh, what if something super drastic happens before the release of the book? Now, now, but super drastic, I mean, either him winning a championship, <laughs> that's which is, which is basically like the the crowning achievement, right? You might you'll probably have to right. add you probably have to add like a prelude to the story oh before. God, I know. Um, or it's you know, God forbid, like but like a sort of a a, a, a disappointment so big that that makes him like change the course of his career in a way. Like, is, is that part of the plan? Because I'm sure that's a challenge. <laughs> Releasing any book in the summer is, is going to be know. a challenge. You know what's so funny is that was like, I definitely had this fear for a while. Like, what if he tears his ACL and is like done or whatever? Or what if, what if, what if, what if? Mm-hmm. And I think um, one of the challenges of the book is that we didn't know, obviously, when I got the book deal, if he was going to re-sign with Milwaukee. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was like, had no idea how to do the end of the book for like a majority of the time. And because we didn't know what would happen and therefore when the book should be released, I only had a year to do the book instead of most people get two years. So the book was already fast tracked because of these variables that we didn't know about. Um, when he said he was staying, I was like, oh, thank God, because we can tidy it up at the end. But you're right. Like if something happens, like, I don't know what to do because the book is done. Like it literally yeah. just went your final edits. Um, let's was just it... hope nothing happens. I mean, nothing bad happens. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so did it end with the beginning of the current season? Is that the sort of... Um... It ends, it ends um, after it goes through the pandemic. Mm. It goes through the, it goes through the bubble. Mm-hmm. And then it ends. It ends um, after I'm losing all track of time. He <laughs> we re- all are. <laughs> what month are we in? Yeah. He, um, <laughs> yeah. So it goes through him staying. Okay. That's, so that's about yeah. What people Cause in- I yeah, because I couldn't because it uh, it was due. The book was due March first, um, twenty twenty one. So I couldn't really do much after that. Well, people in Milwaukee will be happy with that ending at least. Um, <laughs> thank you so much Marin. uh what can we expect next from you anything anything coming up anything any other story what's the next uh interesting lead or uh, profile that you're doing yeah i have a profile coming late next week i believe uh an nba profile so i'm so excited because nba access this year has been terrible so i'm thrilled finally got an nba feature uh player profile so awesome. i hope you check it out and thank you so much for having me like that was so fun i appreciate it thanks a lot i'm uh really enjoyed that story and i'm super excited for this Yanis book i hope i can pre-order it to come to india somehow i'm gonna try and yes. figure that out yeah yes i'll try to figure that out too and you better take me that that chicken place Amon's if I ever chicken in, india. in ludhiana that's, 
that it, that place is the bomb. Yeah, every every oh, game. Next time you speak to Prince Paul or any Punjabi player or even Troy, bring bring Aman's chicken up. It's it, their eyes will light up. I will. I will. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Mirren. Thank you. Thank you so much to Mirren Fader for joining us on Hoop Dashin. Karan, I was quite bummed out that I missed out on on that chat, but. Um, yeah, it, it was an amazing conversation. Little did I know, uh, exp- going into the conversation, that I'd listen to an Aman's chicken shout out. But it was it was there. You 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 did us proud by talking about it. I think it's almost inevitable that when we talk about uh, Punjab basketball, and um, you know, you have to talk about butter chicken. I think it was recently when um, you know, Koshik on our group chat, Yash Matange, another one of sort of. The great guest of Hoop Darshan, he's here all the time. Works works with NBA India. Uh, he was he was noting how almost every Indian person who's now, or at least every Indian male who's sort of associated with the NBA in any way, happens to be coming through Punjab, and more specifically happens to be coming through this court in Ludhiana. So Ludhiana is really the capital of uh, basketball in India, but it's also the capital of the best food on the goddamn country on the goddamn globe, really. So, uh, yeah, the universe, man. <laughs> the globe. <laughs> so, so shout out to uh, Aman's Chicken. Uh, thank you, Mirren, for, for joining us. Uh, it was so much fun to hear her anecdotes about Palpreet, her anecdotes about Yanis. And it's crazy she was able to create all of these very vivid worlds without actually getting a chance to visit. You know, because of the pandemic, she couldn't go to these places. Uh, uh, if you guys haven't read her, her story on Palpreet, I'll recommend go check it out on The Ringer. And... Uh, I'm super hyped for her book when it comes out. I think it comes out in the States. I mentioned it in an interview, but it comes out in the States in August. Uh, I'm, I'm pre-ordering it, trying to get it to India any way I can. Definitely, definitely. And, and Karan, if you, had to, if you had to talk about um, the Yanis book and, and some of the key things that she sort of mentioned from there, what, what kind of stood out to you from, from the Yanis story? I mean... You know, one of the things she talked about, so so she was on the Bill Simmons podcast talking about this book just three weeks ago or so. Um, and I think that that's sort of like listening to her talk there and then sort of um, uh, the, the the connection that I had with the Palpreet story like really motivated me to invite her to Hoop Darshan because we could talk about a bunch of things, right? But she mentioned mm-hmm. about like his food insecurity, like how he was, even when he came to the NBA, he's this prospect. Yeah, he didn't go number one, but he was still like, you know, like, an interesting piece. Nobody knew what he was going to be, right? Uh, but even then, he had this food insecurity where he didn't eat full meals because he wasn't used to eating full meals. He used to come from such like an unstable background. So, so that story really stuck with me. And in our podcast, she mentioned the story about how he still refused to fly first class. He still refused to take the the aisle seat, even though he was so tall. He took the seat that was given to him. He just, you know, like I, I just think he wasn't used to exercising his sort of uh, like the fame and the economic comfort that he had gotten now with his NBA, um, with his basketball career, and and so it, like those little tidbits that they they really stuck with me. You know, she, uh, the the book is gonna be I'm sure is gonna be filled with so many more interesting details about Giannis and his personality. He is uh, one of the more you know we we say this over and over again, but one of the most unique stories. So um, yeah, uh, excited for the book. Excellent stuff. Yeah, I can't wait to get my hands on it as well. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed enjoyed that uh, interview to, uh, in this episode of Hoop Session. Before we go away, Karan, um, 
couple of interesting developments happened in the NBA recently. Do you want to have a quick chat about Jamal Murray's injury? So sad, man. Poor Jamal know, Murray. Right? So, we, so we are recording this on uh, the 14th of April, uh, which means that the injury happened just a day or two ago. Um, and and it's just been like the, the the Nuggets were really on the rise. Like they, they had finally turned the corner. I mean, I won't say turned the corner, but they had really like elevated themselves as a true contender after the Aaron Gordon addition. But who knows now? Like, do you feel that they still have a chance with Amore? I I personally can't see how because he's such an integral part of their playoff weaponry, right? Like he can go off for 50 points whenever um, he can single-handedly turn around quarters and games in a way that. Uh, not too many people else on, on on that team can like Jokic is obviously playing at an MVP level and he's going to be there like constantly. But Murray is just like that. So, sometimes in the playoffs you need the, you need those people who get hot like a like a microwave. I know that hasn't been said since like the 90s, but um, <laughs> it's just I, I think he's he's such a special guy and he showed it in, in last year's playoffs. I personally like I, I find him a little annoying and arrogant, but like his game. In the playoffs, is is such a joy to watch. Um, I I think the Nuggets must be like absolutely shattered with this with this injury. I I really think like you, it felt like they were starting to turn around the the corner after the Gordon trade. And uh, I was even about to check on a, a cheeky bet at um at, at 15 to one or 16 to one that they were uh, for the title because I thought that's that's good value, but um. Mm-hmm. In a, in a way that I'm, I'm kind of glad that I didn't. <laughs> it's, you know, I, 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 I've always joked that, like, Murray is really the most inconsistent player in the league. And and mm-hmm. I just say that because he, he goes through these long stretches, or he used to, he doesn't do it as much, but he would go through these stretches where he would have a 30-point game and then an 8-point game. Or, like, a 35-point game and then he'll have a 12-point game. And it was just, like, maddening sometimes. But the guy's playoff greatness is undeniable. He goes supernova. And him and Jokic have this like such beautiful chemistry. They are really just meant to play together, you know. And um, so it's, it is gonna hurt to, you know, to to to, to move forward without him. Uh, and any other thoughts about about recent trends in the NBA that you would like to speak upon? Uh, I think we we kind of touched on this last time, but um, still keen on keen on the Nets. I know you want you want to speak to speak about them as well. Mm. Um, Obviously, like they they signed Aldridge and um, and Griffin, and they now have this like collection of absolute current superstars and and a lot of like former superstars as well. We still haven't seen the three of them play together in in a while because like just as Durant was coming back, and boy, it looks like he's never left. Um, Harden went down, and like Kyrie's on and off as well. So I'm I'm really like really looking forward to seeing what the the full and best version of the Nets are because. On paper, like they seem, they seem incredibly hard to stop. Yeah, so so I, I'm glad you speak. You started on the Nets because I do want to speak on Nets related, but 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 a part of the Nets story that is not getting as much coverage is Steve Nash. Now Steve Nash is like a first-time coach, first-year coach. Everyone knows he's like a you know he is a high IQ basketball mind, one of the greatest you know basketball minds to actually play the game. But as usual with first-time coaches, you always have like that question of how will it translate on the court, uh, or sorry, not on the court, but like on the sidelines. Uh, you know, the, Jason Kidd had a bumpy up and down thing. Derek Fisher 
had a bumpy up and down thing. It's not always a one-to-one thing that a genius player becomes like a great coach. And Steve Nash was never going to be given that fair chance because the moment he starts his coaching career, he he got this team that already had uh, Durant and Kyrie and then soon also had James Harden. And then now has like Blake and uh, LaMarcus. And he, he and at the same time, he has to worry about the traditional things such as like, you know, pin downs and, and, and make spreading the floor with Joe Harris and, and how to use... Jeff Green as a stretch four, and then like uh, who who's the guy Claxton? I think he's the big guy who's taking a, who's playing pretty well recently. Yeah, um, he he has to worry about like just very sort of s- simple. I won't say simple, but traditional coaching stuff. And on top of that, has to worry about the superstar stuff. And and he has this team that has never really played together properly. Some players get COVID, they go in and come back, come out. Players get injured, they're in and out. Kyrie has, you know, he's had like his emotional issues in the past. Harden came with all his baggage, played really well, and then now he has his issues. So it's like this team has really been a circus. Unlike, I can't think of a functional team to be as much of a circus in the past. You know, you could talk about the the Shaq and Kobe teams, which always figured it out in the end. But what's been pretty remarkable about this Nets team is that with all this all this instability there really has been very little drama from the team itself you, you haven't heard anything about uh, the players being unhappy or the players having any issues with steve nash or anything like that and I, I you know i know it's a team effort it's a group effort in managing all this but kudos to nash for sort of being you know the, the leader of of this group like managing these egos because you know, a coach a, a coach has to do two jobs, right? Like you have to be the Thibodeau kind of coach, which is X and O's, and then you have to be the Doc Rivers kind of coach, which is more like, like like a motivational guy, right? And Steve Nash really has been doing both those jobs pretty well. And I know he won't get the credit because everyone's like, yo, you have like all the star power, it's easy. Um, and and to an extent that is true. This is why he's probably not going to win Coach of the Year. It's probably going to be Quinn Snyder, but. I just wanted to shout out Steve Nash. He's been doing an, a, a a pretty awesome job. I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I, I was a huge Steve Nash fan when he was a player, and I think like he's he's the right kind of mentality for for such a superstar given team. So I think I, I compare it to to what Steve Kerr was like when he took on the Golden State job. Not mm-hmm. just because they're both named Steve and and, and they're both white guys, but um, <laughs> It's just, I think, like a, it's, it's a mentality thing, right? Like, let players be players, that mm-hmm. kind of a situation. Such, such experience played on so many talented teams that I think they know what it's like to to coach such a selection of players. So it's also like I also think about it from like a, a Zidane and Real Madrid perspective. Like, uh, it's just like these guys, yeah, these these guys just know how to get get things done. So um, yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised that it's working. Um, yeah, it will be a different thing to see what it's like in the playoffs when those kind of pressures and uh, and the adjustments and the matchups and stuff like that hit him for the first time. But um, if anyone can do it, it, it's definitely him, I think. We are about a month away from the play-in games, so uh, it's yeah, speaking it, of the speaking of the play-in games, Karan. Did you hear what yeah. Luca had to say about the play-in games? No, I did not. What did he say? So he isn't a fan of the play-in games, and he he said that. You play these 72 hard games in, in such a packed schedule and all the rigors of the regular season. And then suddenly you could go out because you had two bad games. 
Yeah. Uh, so he's he's not a fan of it. I come I get where he's coming from primarily because I don't think like I, I think like he, they they'll probably finish seventh at at worst or maybe like sixth if they manage to escape it. But they're probably looking at at least one playing game, right? And 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 I get to I get where he's coming from. Um, but keen to hear sort of your thoughts on on the playing tournament as such. It's obviously great entertainment value for the fans, but from a playoff reward regular season perspective, uh, what what where's your head at with this? I mean, he he does have a point, and it's 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 something that you know it, it, it is antithetical to the way NBA has done things, where uh, especially when it comes to these, where where usually you know by the end of things the, the right team almost always wins. Uh, in the regular season is really long. It's hard to be fluky and be good in the regular season. And then in mm-hmm. the playoffs, you have to win four out of seven times. So even when there's a big upset, it usually is if there's a major injury or if, you know, the, the, the team that was the better team uh, was only better in the regular season structure and, you know, they, they couldn't handle the pressure of the playoffs. And I think that's what makes it fun, right? Whereas the mm. play-in tournament will sort of introduce this like March Madness style uh, randomness almost uh, to to the to the playoff proceedings, but come on, Lucas played in Europe. He's played in Euroleague games. He he's been through these situations where you are the better team playing a, a lower seed team, and it's 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 one or done. You have a bad game and you're out. So uh, it's I, I I can understand his um, it it is something new, and I can understand where he's coming from. But at the end of the day, the, it. The, the playing games are going to be an overall plus. It, they're going to be so exciting, and uh, I, I'm actually looking forward to them a lot. You know, unless yeah. the Knicks badly. In that case, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think like also when you think about the playing game scenarios, I don't think any team would want to play the Mavericks, right? Because like Luca takeover mode gets activated, and then like I think they'll try to actively avoid uh, avoid that happening. But yeah, with well, his. His concern probably is that, like, you know, Porzingis, who is playing actually really well now, and now the scales yeah. have tipped and the Mavs have won the trade again. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but Porzingis could, you know, he is injury prone. So if, say, for example, he is hurt for that week, then that's it. The chances are gone, right? Um, I would say the team that no one would want to play is your Lakers. Because yes. now all of a sudden they're going to be this low seed and, and LeBron and AD will come back. So, so I think that's the fear for for people like Luca and for everybody else that a healthy Lakers will now be in the play-in tournament. Yeah, uh, look, I think I think with the Nuggets injury and and maybe like Portland, who who are a little bit funny and confusing with they're they're currently sixth right now, but they also have like a net plus minus of minus ten, I think. So they've kind of lost yeah. badly when they've lost and, and mm-hmm. barely scraping by with wins. So we never know how these things will shake out. Who knows? Maybe the last next time we speak, there will probably be another like uh, landscape-altering injury or or something mm-hmm. like that. So you can never tell until until it's actually happened, I suppose. So um, yeah, uh, on that note, uh, current congratulations uh, uh, on winning the Hoop Session Derby. Oh yes, we did. The, the Knicks beat your depleted Lakers. We are now one game over 500. Uh, it feels so good, but. Uh, I, I, I think as as far as things go now, my, my Knicks are probably playing the Celtics in the play-in game as of today. The, the, this changes <laughs> the East between four and ten is so there's so much flux. So I shouldn't even have said it loud because things will change in an hour. But uh, <laughs> yeah. 
But I, I'm I'm worried about almost every other team in the East because I feel that so far the Knicks season has been charmed in a way. We have been playing well, but it it has been more about other teams being un, a bit underwhelming, like the Celtics, like the Pacers, like the it's Heat. The Bulls. Um, the, the Bulls, I I don't really have that much faith in them. Like I, I'm not afraid to play the Bulls in the in the playing game. Same goes with the Hawks. The Hawks are playing really well right now. But I'm not necessarily afraid of them in the playing game or even in the playoffs. But yeah. it's these teams. It's the teams like the Heat, the Pacers, the the Celtics, and I don't know which direction the Raptors are going into. But if they are somehow in the playing game, I, I'm I, I'll worry about them too. So yeah, it's it's a lot of flux right now in the East. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I had in mind for the NBA. Um, stopover during during our last section of Uptash and Karan. Anything else you wanted to chat about? No, I think we'll now catch up uh, when we catch up next. We have another guest lined up, uh, which we will probably we will probably speak to him in a week, ten days from now. So uh, uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Uptashan, and uh, we will come back at you with 104 very soon. Absolutely, uh, and and as always, if you want to reach out to us. On Hoop Darshan, Karan is at Karan Madhok one and at Hoopistani on Twitter. I am at underscore Kashik seven. The podcast is at Hoop Darshan. Hit us up if you have any questions. We'll shout you out. We'll answer you. If you have any feedback for us, please send it our way. Uh, but until next time, hashtag India Basketball. Uh-huh.